Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're visiting with us, perhaps you visited families or friends here at, uh, in Midland, welcome. And hope you enjoy Thanksgiving uh, with your loved ones as well. As I mentioned earlier, we have been kind of focusing on missions the entire month of November, one way or the other, through stories and testimonies from missionaries and so on. And last week was Mission Sunday. We had a special preacher, and we also had uh, three seminars over lunch in the afternoon. And today, with this sermon, I want to bring closure to uh, the emphasis that we had throughout the month of November. And so, this sermon is also focused on missions this morning. Now, in his book, A Mind for Missions, Paul Bothwick describes two types of Christians. World Christians and worldly Christians. And I have chosen this as the title for the sermon this morning. Now he goes on to define these terms. And first one, worldly Christian. And here's how he defines worldly Christians. Worldly Christians are those who accept the basic message of salvation, but whose lifestyles, priorities, and concerns are molded by self-centered preoccupation. The selfish spirit of our age leads worldly Christians to look to God and the Bible primarily for personal fulfillment. Worldly Christians look to the scripture for personal blessings, praise mostly for immediate personal needs, and see the Christian faith as a way to get God their side. On the other hand, he says, world Christians break the mold of self-centered way of thinking. They understand that Jesus calls them to deny themselves so that they might respond to a world of greater need beyond themselves. He goes on to say, world Christians are day-to-day disciples for whom Christ's global cause has become the integrating, overriding priority for all that he is for them. Like disciples should, they actively investigate all that their master's great commission means. Then they act on what they learn. World Christians are Christians whose life directions have been solidly transformed by a world vision. Then he concludes by saying this. A self-centered focus will lead us away from understanding God's greatness. On the other hand, choosing a world focus will expand our vision, open our minds and hearts, and help us understand the greatness of our God in a way we have never before experienced. Do you agree with these definitions? World Christians or worldly Christians. My heart's desire is that every single person in this congregation would be a world Christian. However, becoming a world Christian is not instantaneous. It is not like flipping a switch and turning on an electric bulb. 
Instead, it is a journey. It is a process. In the sermon this morning, I want to present a biblical character who took such a journey to becoming a world Christian. My hope is that we would learn some principles from it. In other words, it is not a cookie-cutter approach for everyone, but rather we would learn some principles from it and apply those to our own lives as we take steps to becoming world Christians. Now, of course, there are many Bible verses that inspire world Christians. We, we heard that last week from the preacher that we had. In fact, from, from Genesis to Revelation, there are so many scriptures speak to missions. But one such Bible verse is the final words of Jesus just before he was taken up to heaven. In other words, he speaks these words and he was gone. And here it is. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice that I have underlined the words and in this verse. In other words, it's not all. In other words, it is not, you know, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem or in all Judea or in Samaria or to the ends of the earth. It is not all. It is and. It includes the entire world. That's why this verse inspires world Christians. So today we will see, we will not only see Midland, but we would see the ends of the earth. The whole globe. And when early Christians heard this for them, this is what it meant. You will see a picture on the screen. Jerusalem was a city in the province of Judea. And so what Jesus was saying to them is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in this city, and from there you will go spread into the province of Judea, and from there you will go to Samaria, and from there you will go everywhere else. That's the ends of the earth, whether that happens to be Galilee in the north, or Tyre, or Perea, or Decapolis, or wherever, you will go the entire earth, witnessing to the name of Christ. That's the vision of world Christians. Now, the biblical character I want to present this morning is Philip, the evangelist. His journey to becoming a world Christian took place in four stages, as you see on the big screen. It began in Jerusalem. And from there, it went to Samaria. And from there, it went to him witnessing to an Ethiopian high-ranking official. And then from there, he went to Caesarea, the capital of Roman or the Judean province at the time. Philip the Evangelist was a world Christian. He witnessed to the name of Christ in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's look at 
one stage at a time and see the principles that we might be able to learn from the life of Philip the evangelist. The story, of course, begins in Jerusalem. As we read in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Again, there are lots of scriptures. I'm not going to read all of them. Wherever necessary, I'll summarize what was going on and then read a few scriptures so that we could get the point. So Acts 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, in other words, the church in Jerusalem was bursting at the seams. It was growing. Large numbers of people were coming to Christ. There was a conflict. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, the church in Jerusalem was made of both the Hebrew-speaking people as well as the Greek-speaking people. Because Jews were scattered in the Roman Empire in many different places. Some of them had forgotten Hebrew, and, but they were part of the church. And some of them remained in Jerusalem and they were, they were speaking Hebrew. And there was a conflict between the Hebrew-speaking people and also the Greek-speaking people. And the twelve, the twelve apostles of Jesus, summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles knew their priority. They wanted to be about prayer and the ministry of the word. They wanted to be about preaching the word of God and establishing the foundation, theological foundation of the church, the budding church. And so they asked the congregation to pick from within them seven people and appoint them to serve the table. And here's where Philip, the evangelist, was one of the seven. You see, Philip the evangelist was an ordinary lay person like many of you in this congregation this morning. He was a born-again believer, therefore he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He used the gift of the Holy gift the Holy Spirit had given him, and it says here, men full of wisdom, so he had the gift of wisdom, and, and he was using that to serve in the church in Jerusalem. Third, he was a Greek-speaking Jew. Not the Hebrew, the majority at the time in the church in Jerusalem. He was a Greek-speaking person, the minority. But he learned to work cross-culturally with the Hebrew-speaking people in his home church in Jerusalem. And he learned about the Bible and about Jesus under the teachings of the apostles. Remember, Philip was not preaching in the church in Jerusalem. He was a lay person like many of you. It was the apostles who were teaching and preaching and laying the theological foundations for the church that was coming up. And Philip learned by sitting under the teaching and preaching of the apostles. You see, in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, we read, Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. 
This is the first time that he was preaching, proclaiming. And how did he learn about Christ again? From the apostles, of course, because the New Testament had not yet been written for him to study on his own and learn from it. There was no New Testament. Further, in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 through 35, which we would look at later, Philip the evangelist explains to the Ethiopian eunuch that he meets in a desert. And this guy was reading the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, and Philip gets in the chariot and explains to him not only the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah that he was reading, but also makes the connection and says that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. How did Philip the evangelist know that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah? Of course, from the apostles, as they were the ones laying the theological foundations regarding Jesus. So at his home church, and here's the, here's the principle, at his home church in Jerusalem, Philip the Evangelist was learning by sitting under the teaching of the apostles and serving using the gift that the Holy Spirit had given him, including serving in a cross-cultural set. So for Philip the Evangelist, that's how his journey to becoming a world Christian Began. It began at his home church. In fact, here's the principle. I would say more often than not, journey to becoming a world Christian begins at your local church. There are exceptions, of course. But more often than not, journey to becoming a world Christian begins at your local church. So here are some questions for you. Are you sitting under solid biblical teaching and learning? Learning about the Old Testament, learning about the New Testament, learning about Christ, and many more things at your local church? Are you using the Spirit-given gift to serve in your local church? Are you serving cross-culturally in and through your local church? That's where it begins. So here at Midland Free Church, we have a ministry called International Friends. It is a ministry to international students in the area. Mike and Deb Entner have led this from the time that I have known them. That's about 12 plus years now. But they are moving. Mike is being transferred to Kentucky, a job-related transfer. And they are looking for people to step in and be part of this ministry so that it would continue to thrive. And here's an opportunity in and through the local church to serve cross-culturally using the spirit gift that the Spirit had given you. Furthermore, we have two cross-cultural mission trips that are coming. One to Indonesia to work with our missionaries, Jared and Becca Ripma. 
which we presented to you last week, and the other to Haiti with Steve Scott. Both of them will take place either in January or February, and the deadline is actually this week. Why not take advantage of these opportunities in and through your church to use the gift that the Holy Spirit get given you and also to serve cross-culturally. So that's the first principle. Journey to becoming a world Christian often begins in your local church. So if you consider Midland Free as your local church, take advantage of the learning and serving opportunities, including cross-cultural serving opportunities, as you take steps to become a world Christian. So that's stage one for Philip the Evangelist. Here is stage two. It's found in chapter eight. What happens is the church is growing, bursting at the seams, and there was a persecution. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, we read a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And people scattered everywhere. And then in verse 5, we read this. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ. And in verse 7, we read, Unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and so there was much joy in that city. You see, an interesting question here is, why did Philip go to Samaria and not to any other place? In fact, for a Jew, Samaria was the last place that you want to be in. For the Jews, the Samaritans were not pure. Because they were descendants of Jewish people marrying non-Jews. As they call them, Samaritans were half-breeds. In fact, the Jews felt that any contact with the Samaritans would make them unclean. So they avoided traveling through Samaria even when it was the most convenient thing to do and even when it was the shortest distance to do so. For example, here's a map that you will see. People from north, let's say Nazareth where Jesus was from, and they came to the temple in Jerusalem, the straight path is through Samaria. But they wouldn't do that. They would go around and cross the Jordan River twice in order to go from Nazareth to the temple in Jerusalem because they felt these half-breeds, if we came in contact with them, would contaminate us and therefore we cannot go into the temple in Jerusalem and worship. That's how they hated the, Jew, the Samaritans. And there are many other things. But here's another one. They, the Samaritans, because of the intermarriages, they had a different belief system. For example, the Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was the only place for sacrifice and worship, not the temple in Jerusalem. So as a result, they in fact tried to stop the Jews from building the temple in Jerusalem long ago. 
As a result of things like these, the Jews and the Samaritans became sworn enemies. So much so, one time, the Apostle John, Jesus's, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, asked Jesus this, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's how much the hatred was between the Jews and the Samaritans. So why did Philip choose to go to Samaria? By the way, when you are studying the Bible, these white questions are excellent. Why did he go to Samaria? Perhaps he remembered that Jesus went through Samaria and even witnessed to a Samaritan woman at the well. It didn't matter to Jesus. And therefore it shouldn't matter to me. Perhaps you remember that Jesus' commission included Samaria, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Perhaps this cross-cultural service at, the, at this local church in Jerusalem, among the Hebrew-speaking, as the Greek, working among the Hebrew-speaking people, raised all of his prejudices about Samaritans and prepared him to serve there. Whatever his reasons may have been, in verse 5 we read, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ. Here's the second question. Again, a why question. Or who question? Who told him to preach when he went to Samaria? Who told Philip to preach in Samaria when he went there? Nobody. In fact, he had no commission from the apostles to do so. The, the, the only commission he had from them was to serve the tables. Nothing more, nothing else. So why did he do it? You see, here is Philip, a lay person like many of you in this congregation. Overcame all kinds of prejudices and barriers, racial, ethnic, religious, religious social, and so on, and proclaimed Christ to the Samaritan. That's what he took. Maybe because he knew Christ. Maybe his heart was full and overflowing with Christ. He couldn't stop it. It just overflowed. Maybe because he felt the Samaritans needed Christ to be delivered from their faulty belief system and be saved. So Philip, uncalled, uncommissioned, unordained by anybody, became the first Christian after Pentecost to cross over to Samaria and proclaim Christ there. A lay person. As a result, the Bible says, there was much joy in that city. How about you? My brothers and sisters here at Midland Free. 
every day, even here in Midland, whether you are walking in your neighborhoods, shopping at shopping centers, going to work or going to school, you are meeting people of different races, cultures, ethnicities, religious beliefs, socioeconomic status, and so on, who are lost and are in need of Christ for their salvation. Do you know Christ? Have you been sitting under solid biblical teaching in this church and learning about Christ? Is your heart overflowing, full and overflowing with Christ? Then preach it, brother. Preach it, sister. Preach Christ everywhere you go and to every lost person you encounter. That's what world Christians do. You see, when you preach Christ, when you say the name of Jesus, demons flee. I have seen it myself. And if, if you were to sit here and say, we, I have never seen a demon flee, I would say, look to see if you have ever uttered the word of Christ in the places that you should be utter, uttering it. Demons flee when they hear the name of Jesus. Do you have such a vision for Midland and surrounding areas? What Christians do? They really do. So this morning, of course there are several opportunities, but this morning I would like to present one specific opportunity. Because it's coming next week. On Friday, December 7, from 5.30 to 8 p.m., our Go Local Ministry is having its annual Christmas party at North Midland Family Center. Here's an opportunity for you to go and meet a group of people who are socioeconomically different than many of you. And an opportunity to minister to them. That's what both Christians do. So to summarize the first two stages here, journey to becoming a world Christian often begins at the local church where we learn, sit under a solid biblical teaching and learn and then serve using the gift that the Holy Spirit had given us, including cross-cultural service. And from there, having learned and having served, having had these experiences, then we move we are always on the go, and wherever we go, we are able to overcome all kinds of barriers, racial, ethnic, cultural, religious, and socioeconomic, and share Christ with the lost people. Now on to stage three. So notice this. Here was Philip in Samaria, in the midst of a great revival. 
Demons were fleeing. Sick were being healed. People were coming to Christ. They needed to be discipled and helped along in their spiritual growth, right? That's what we would say. Yet, in verse 26, chapter 8, we read this, And an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's so weird, you couldn't even believe it. Why would anyone want to leave a revival that is happening? People are coming to Christ. They needed to be discipled and helped along in their spiritual growth. But God's plan was different. So Philip rose and went. And on that road, he meets a high-ranking official from Ethiopia returning to his country after worshiping in Jerusalem. And verse 29, we read this. And the Spirit said to Philip, here again the Spirit says, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran and joined the chariot. And from there, he shared the good news about Jesus and baptized the Ethiopian. For us, the principle is this. Journey to becoming a world Christian involves learning to walk with the Spirit, learning to walk in step with the Spirit, and being obedient to Him, whatever He says at all times. Journey to becoming a world Christian involves learning to walk with the Spirit, learning to walk in step with the Spirit, and being obedient to Him, whatever He says at all times. Do you know how to walk in step with the Spirit? On the screen, you will see a picture of my a friend, a friend of mine, two of them, actually a couple. They are sitting on the bottom, Bill and Judy Long. Bill is now retired, a professor at MIT in engineering. And Judy was, is also retired now, was a school teacher in Waltham, Massachusetts. It's a long story, but somehow along the way, God gave them the passion to reach out to Chinese students in the Boston area. In fact, on this picture, you see, except one, every one of them is a Chinese international student. And this is last Christmas. And you know, Judy has, has these incredible stories. There are so many of them. Let me tell you, walking with the Spirit, the walking, learning to walk in step with the Spirit. So Judy tells a story of one day she was cooking dinner for, for her. Uh, they have no children, so cooking dinner for her husband and herself. Suddenly, she felt God was telling her to stop the cooking and go over to the park in Waltham, Massachusetts. That's where they lived. So Judy stops the cooking and walks over to the park. And like Philip the Evangelist, she's kind of walking around and seeing you know, what God is doing and all of that. And, and suddenly she sees a Chinese woman sitting on a rock, a big rock in the park, and reading something. It reminds you of Philip the Evangelist, right? And so Judy walks over 
and say, hey, I'm Judy Long. How are you doing? What's your name? Da, 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 and all of this. What are you reading? And she said, somebody gave me this Bible I'm trying to read, and I have no idea what it is. I don't understand a word that's in here. That afternoon, Judy shared Christ with this Chinese woman and brought her to Christ. Next Sunday, this Chinese woman was at church. In fact, Judy and Bill Long, when they come to church, and you saw the picture there, they usually have definitely one full row of Chinese students every Sunday. But sometimes more. That, my friends, is learning to walk with the Spirit. Learning to walk in step with the Spirit. You know, the church tradition has it. Again, it's not very sure that this high-ranking official went back to his home country, Ethiopia, and preached Jesus there. In fact, early church fathers like Irenaeus and Eusebius and Origen have kind of mentioned that this person was responsible for spreading the gospel in Ethiopia. But one thing we know for sure is that Ethiopia has one of the oldest forms of Christianity today. So I would summarize it this way. Journey to becoming world Christian begins in Jerusalem. And where we learn and serve. And then, having learned and served, we move over, overcome barriers and move over to the region and preach Christ there. And then, to have a world impact, we begin to, we learn to walk in step with the Spirit and be obedient to His voice at all times. Now on to stage four. Now, after baptizing the Ethiopian, we read in chapter 8, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And Philip found himself at a city called Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And here's the map. So Philip was in Samaria, number four. God called him to witness to the Ethiopian in the road to Gaza. That's number five. Spirit lifts him off and puts him in number six, Azotus. And from Asia to Caesarea was about 60 miles. I don't know if he walked or if he went by ship. I have no idea. But what it says is that he preached in every town until he got to Caesarea. He preached for 60 miles until he went to Caesarea. You know, I find it interesting that Philip did not stay in Asia. That's where the Spirit of the Lord put him. Nor did he return to Samaria where there was a revival that he, God had begun through him. Nor did he go to Jerusalem, his home church. But instead he goes up to Caesarea, the Roman capital of the province of Judea at the time. Again, why? I don't know. Perhaps he was thinking of preaching Christ to the powerful in society. Being the capital city, Caesarea was the official residence and administrative center of the, of the kings and Roman uh, 
procurators such as Festus and Felix and others named in the New Testament? Perhaps he was thinking of reaching many nations and peoples because Caesarea was the chief port city at the time and there was so much traffic, commerce and people from all nations flowed through it. In fact, it was in Caesarea, Philip was called the evangelist for the first time. Not in Acts chapter 6, not in Acts chapter 8. It was here in Caesarea that he was called the evangelist for the first time. Did, did, did he evangelize Caesarea? Was he successful in evangelism? We don't know. But we know this. Church history tells us that Caesarea became a famous church center in the third and fourth centuries. It had a Christian school and a Christian library and early church fathers such as Origen and Eusebius taught there. We know that. Maybe Philip did evangelize Caesarea or at the least laid the foundation such that it would later become a famous Christian center. Perhaps that's why they gave him the name Evangelist. And moreover, living in a port city like that, the chief port city like this, Philip was able to host itinerant preachers and missionaries who were passing through. And that we read in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. And here's what it is. This is the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. And we find this in, in, in Acts 21. He says, on the next day, we, that is the Apostle Paul, the writer of the Acts, Luke, and perhaps others who were accompanying them, departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Here it is. Here's the first time that he's called the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I want to say, but in modern terms, he was serving as a sender of missionaries. He evangelized Caesarea. He was serving a sender in Caesarea. And here's the third one. He has passed on the vision of, of being a world Christian to his children. His daughters were teachers and preachers of Christ at the time. So here's how I would summarize the journey of Philip the Apostle, of Philip the Evangelist of becoming the world Christian. It began for him in Jerusalem where he learned and served. And then from there he moved on to Samaria, overcoming all kinds of barriers because we had learned that in, in his local church and preached Christ there, which also he had learned by sitting under the teaching of the apostles. And from there, he had, obviously, he had, over, the, over time, he had learned to walk with the Spirit and be obedient to him. And as a result, he was able to meet this Ethiopian high-ranking official who may have taken the gospel to Ethiopia, to the ends of the earth. And finally, Caesarea, the Roman capital of Judea, he was evangelizing and serving a sender and establishing a world Christian home. Do you want to be a world Christian, my brothers and sisters? Those are the principles. It may look different for different people, but those are the principles. So here's my ask this morning. If you'd grab the bulletin, please do. 
And at the top, you will find what is called an Engage 2018 card. There's, by the way, a perforation just above, welcome to Midland Free. Rip it off. This is the card that those who attended last Sunday, the three seminars over lunch, filled up. Now, we are not going to just preach here and let you go and figure out. We are actually going to disciple you to become world Christians. So the global missions team has, has chosen to form three teams. One focused on unreached people groups, one focused on homegrown missionaries, and one focused on global compassionate care. And here are the things that they are going to disciple you through. So take a look at them. And see if the Spirit of God might be talking to you about those. If he did, put a check mark next to it. And the next page, put your name and your contact information and things like that. And depending on what you check, one of the team leaders will get back with you to help you, to disciple you through the process so that you get to become world Christians. So, after the sermon, there will be the offering time, and please feel free to put that in the offering bag and so that we may be able to get back with you. Be a world Christian and preach Christ everywhere. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for the life of Philip the Evangelist. He inspires us and help us to be inspired by your Holy Spirit so that we too could become all Christians. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.